Hello everybody, we got new friends to the show. Change the way you move your things with Move Easy. Move Easy is an on-demand moving and delivery company that will change the way you move your things. It's as easy as selecting your vehicle type, inputting your pickup and drop-off locations, submitting the order, and then waiting for our driver to arrive to help move your things. With over 100 successful orders completed in just over two months of operation and a consistent five-star client rating, Move Easy is making waves in the logistics industry in Calgary. Whether it's a curbside pickup, a Facebook marketplace delivery, or move into a new home, we can do it all. If it needs to be moved or delivered, Move Easy is the team for you. Save 10% off your next Move Easy order with the discount code RR10 at checkout. Visit us at WEMOOVEZ.com. Once again, that's WEMOOVEZ.com. M double O V E Z dot com and forever change the way you move your things. You're listening to the Rising Rain podcast with Nathan and Sterling. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Welcome back, everybody, to the Rising Rain podcast. I'm here with co-host Sterling yes, sir. and Dawson Warman. Warman, I messed up his last name. Good evening. Uh, that's me. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm doing so good. It's good to see your pretty mug again. Thank you. My my new buzz cut. Yeah. Have you fresh. seen my Have you seen my buzz cut before? I think or is once. This the first yeah. One? It might have honestly. I might have gone a sneak peek on the gram. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that might have been the first time, and I was like, "Sheesh, just oh, JT man. in here." Yeah, <laughs> I was going for a Drake look, but I think I'm missing missing something. But uh, yeah, no, dude, buzz cuts are so underrated. Honestly, it feels so nice. Low maintenance. Yeah, exactly. It's just you get up in the morning, go on with my day. Um, anyways. Dawson, it's good to have you here. I'm happy to be able to finally um, get you on this podcast. It's been three weeks since our last episode, so it's been a while. Um, there's big changes going on and, you know, a lot of things going on in our lives right now. Um, and uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure Sterling can say the same. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Busy summer. Yeah. But we still are here and we're still happy to be here and we're still happy to produce this uh, podcast for you guys. So um, just kind of the layout of this episode, um, we're just going to hear about Dawson and his life. Um, Dawson is to me, one of the uh, just most sophisticated guy. like this guy's brain is just something that I can't, really comprehend he's got a he's got he's a mr big brain um he's got lots of thoughts lots of ideas um and things that i think you guys should hear uh and uh so yeah welcome dawson um and let's just you know get through some icebreakers okay so uh everybody has their hobbies let's talk about yours what's your hobby oh man um well i do a little dabbling in the sport of picking up heavy things and putting them down again. 
Uh, that's, that's a pretty big one that I'd say takes up a fair bit of time outside of work and school. Mm-hmm. Uh, also known by its other name, powerlifting. <laughs> uh, more specifically. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've done that competitively for, I mean, taking it seriously about two years now. Had my first competition after three delays um, oh, yeah. around December and hopefully looking to do more. Apart from that, I mostly do a lot of reading, some writing, which summer has been a very good time for, mm-hmm. and uh, used to do a lot more art. Still love it, some t-shirt design, but uh, been more into the literary style now. <laughs> couple things. So I was there when you did your, your competition, um, and holy smokes. So I was working in the gym that he was doing the his uh, competition in. And uh, I just stopped what I was doing completely and just to watch these, these guys lift up uh, heavy weights. Um, but I like, I just remember my thought process when you were doing your deadlift, I was like, okay, that's really heavy. What was your heaviest one again? Uh, heaviest I've done is 585. And you did that in your competition, right? Uh, I think the competition, we played it a bit more conservative with 575. Like a bit more conservative, five seventy five deadlift. So I'm like, I'm like, okay, that's really heavy. There's no way like he's gonna make that look easy. And this guy just like takes a deep breath and just whoop, and just like with ease. And I was like, I I kind of wanted to try it. <laughs> I was like, let me try it. Get me in there, coach. But I wouldn't have been able to get that bar off the ground. Um, but yeah, so you one could say that you're you're moving along nicely in the powerlifting um looks good man your your deadlifts look really good appreciate but, it um and i i also still have one of your stickers that you made you said here take this and i put it in my <laughs> wallet and i still have it which one is that uh it has this i have it somewhere it has a skull on it oh yeah the memento mori is it That's right here. <laughs> Boom. First first batch. First sticker yeah, I ever made. You made it, dude. And I was like, dude, this is so cool. I don't know what this word means, but I didn't ask you because I didn't want to <laughs> see you. <laughs> what does that mean? Um, well, it's Latin, so I don't think anyone could fault you for not knowing it. <laughs> Um, and memento mori is a Latin phrase that translates to remember your death. Remember your death. Yeah, maybe a little morbid, but. Well, that's why there's a skull with. Setting sun. Okay, I'm going to remember my death. I'm going to put it right here. Cool. <laughs> what was the, What's the meaning behind that? So it's, uh, it's seen its use in a fair bit of philosophy uh including the stoics but primarily it's been found in catholic practice memento mori remember your death that you know from dust we came and to dust we will return uh we do not choose the day uh we don't know when so we should uh live our lives accordingly i think the best phrase i ever heard is you know plan like you're gonna live forever but live as though you're going to die or not wake up the next day. That makes my brain hurt. But 
Yeah. I like that. I like that. And that also reminds me of something else because like something I've been, um, something that I've been like recurring with in my scripture readings and stuff like that is like, um, there's a, there's a big theme in the gospels where we have to like put to death the world or put to death our flesh. So I feel like that kind of hits that very nicely. Well, right. Cause we have, we have, we have to sacrifice what we have here if, if we're going to aim for the eternal. Right. So that's pretty cool. I like that. Absolutely. Life is to die into oneself. Yeah. There you go, boss. It also just allows us to be happier with that yeah. kind of mindset day to day, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause if you think it like, Oh, tomorrow, I might not wake up, but I'm grumpy right now. I shouldn't, I probably shouldn't be grumpy. I should probably should cheer up. Right. It's all Better a choice. Make peace now. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. So Dawson, um, give us a little bit about your story. Tell us about uh, your childhood um, family, you know, whatever, whatever comes to your mind. Let's, let's hear it. Sure. Um so I am now 22. Uh, sometimes it's easy to forget what age I am. I feel like <laughs> once you get into your 20s, it, it goes by pretty fast. But yeah. the way I remembered this year is that on my birthday, you have to do it. T-Swiss, 22. Oh, I God. played it. And that's how I've remembered. <laughs> <laughs> this is Pansy. Most <laughs> um, so I was born on December 31st last day of 1998 so i i do consider myself a 90s kid and i was born alongside my twin sister and i have an older sister and two amazing parents um Mm -hmm. sort of just grow up pretty average uh dabbling in sports here and there as four and five year olds can (laughs) to the extent (laughs) that they can yeah a little bit of soccer maybe i should have stuck with that Maybe. <laughs> um, and that was a yeah, pretty average childhood. Went to GCA uh, up in Evergreen. And that's went to church every weekend and sort of started developing my faith as much as a child can going to yeah. school. I was a pretty, pretty awkward child, especially going into junior high. Um, kind of dropped all sports. Uh, Got really into video games with the Wii. Uh, big into Super Smash Bros. To the extent that I actually got tennis elbow from playing too much Wii. And Are you for real? I'm not, not even kidding, kidding you. <laughs> I rate hey. that to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when you're a when you're a kid and you drop your sports and the most physical activity you get is swinging and nunchuck, that's a lot of stress <laughs> on the elbow. <laughs> Lance playing uh, tennis way too much. <laughs> Wii Sports was my game, dude. Oh yeah, never got tennis elbow, or whatever you call it. But <laughs> yeah, I think it was a special case. <laughs> I don't think you get it. Like I was playing a lot of Smash Bros. <laughs> Love that. And um, I, I didn't have any self awareness really, uh, so. I wouldn't say that I was I was bullied, but certainly I wasn't exactly accepted by a lot of people because I acted very strangely. And I, I looking back, certainly would do a lot of annoying things um, just so I get responses from people where I thought they were funny and that if people thought they were funny, then, you know, engagement. 
it's not that I didn't have friends, but you do want to be liked by people. That's a, yeah. a natural desire. And so I think it was grade seven or grade eight. I just had to take a step back and I was like, wait, why don't people like me? And it's sort of a comparison between, okay, what am I doing? What are other people doing? Oh man, the things I'm doing are pretty annoying. <laughs> Maybe I should stop doing those things. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and uh, it sort of went from there. It, concurrently in grade nine, my good friend invited me to come try out for a football team. Probably the most nerve wracking thing that I'd ever done at that point. I had two left feet, didn't do any sports for quite a number of years, but I went. I swear I thought all of the kids were trying out for a different team because they looked like full grown men. <laughs> and I almost quit after the first week. But there was a coach who noticed me after practice one day, all the other kids had left, but my dad had been working late and was on his way to pick me up. And he had seen that I was struggling. I had never watched football once, by the way. I didn't know the positions. I didn't even know what you did in the sport. I like I, your average person knew more about football than I did. <laughs> and he walked me through it. I didn't understand anything going home, but I came back the next week and I made the team and it was still horrible back up. I think I played one game when we were like 30 points ahead, <laughs> but I loved it and I stuck with it and I got good at it. I, so I continued playing with this club team uh, before going into high school. And I think it was simul sort of around that same paradigm shift in junior high where I grew some self-awareness that, uh, so I was 13 and my mom had been having some slip ups with some words, uh, had some confusion. There was a pretty harrowing experience we had had when we were driving to one of my sister's dance recitals uh, late at night where she made the wrong turn and pitch black. Uh, she started having this crazy, uh, very manic episode. And as a young kid, it was, it was uh, pretty scary, but just trying to calm her down and uh, call my dad and get things sorted. So there had been a lot of weird events going on, things that are sort of out of the normal. And so my mom had gone and seen a couple of doctors while we're continuing. And so around when I was 13 or 14, uh, my parents sort of sat us down and let us know that my mom had early onset Alzheimer's. So Alzheimer's, I feel like most people know now because it has been recognized as a an epidemic, but it is a degenerative dementia that typically occurs in people who are 60 plus, 70 plus. Uh, but my mom got it when she was in her late 40s or early 50s. Uh, pescatarian her whole life, ran marathons with her family, healthy person. Uh, but her mom had gotten it and actually had died uh, a few years prior. And that was a tough diagnosis to sit down with. Yeah. But I was blessed with very 
exceptional parents. And I remember when they were sitting us down at the table and my sisters and I were crying partly because we just didn't understand what was happening. And my mom was trying to reassure us and she started stuttering and then said, I forgot what I was going to say. And she and my dad just broke out laughing. (laughs) (laughs) And I I didn't uh, quite have a good sense of humor in that moment, but looking back, it it showed a lot of grace in the situation. And so continued into high school. Um, It's a progressive disease. And so over the years, it started to take more of a toll. Uh, My mom eventually, at first she couldn't drive at night just because when you're night driving, things look unfamiliar. It's hard to gauge where you are, but she could drive the, during the day. So, but eventually she, uh, you know, put away her driver's license and doctors recommended that she shouldn't drive and continued along in high school. I was playing football, uh, finally got a hang of classes. I'd never been much for studying in junior high, but I realized, oh, wow, if you actually pay attention or try to put some effort in you uh get pretty good results out of it (laughs) yeah and joined the high school football team it was a bit of a culture shift especially from gca which was a little private christian school yeah um and even considering that i think centennial was a pretty good school uh compared to a lot of others pretty decent culture um i think the most shocking thing I ever heard was there was like one fist fight. <laughs> yeah. Well, 50% of our population said Tenniel were Mormon. So <laughs> fighting would never happen. <laughs> yeah. Maybe having a, a Mormon temple near the school might've helped with that. Yeah. <laughs> Not anymore, apparently though, but that's, no. that's a story for another time. Yeah. And yeah. So grades were going up. Uh, I was, expanding my circle of friends. I was a socially adapted individual now. And I was reading, things were good. And, but throughout the course of high school, um, my mom's condition continually deteriorated. Um, And my dad lost his job at the same time, which was a bit of unfortunate timing. Um, So he'd be at home during the day looking after my mom because She now required assistance, or if he wasn't there, then a caretaker would be in the mornings and at night or after football practice, my sister and I would coordinate our schedules. So somebody would be home with her. Um, And at the start, it was pretty normal. Like my mom was content to read um, for the time that she still could or go on walks with her or so in it, but eventually uh, she wasn't able to do that, which was very tough for her, um, especially because her whole life she had been a, a sewer. She actually met my dad by doing costumes for the Olympics when they were in Calgary um, and did a lot of sewing for figure skaters like Christy Amaguchi or Kurt Browning, which oh, cool. maybe those figure skating uh, stands will know. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that name. I've heard that name. I know that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, slowly, one of the things about dementia is often that 
um, people with dementia will turn against their main caregivers. Um, and for my mom, that was my dad. So at home, she wouldn't recognize him as um, who he was uh, as her husband, but thought that he was a, a bad man. And I mean, people who don't know my dad, I, I couldn't think of a, a better father or husband that I've ever met throughout their entire marriage. They hadn't had a single argument. And that was something they both stood by. They never had an argument because when one was having a tough time, the other would swoop in when me and my siblings were being less than, uh, <laughs> less than good kids, he would take us to the park so that my mom could work in peace. And they never had an argument, but she would lash out at him and not to his fault or hers, but just the reality of the situation. So most of her care uh, felt to me and my siblings uh, after school and after work. And one day I slept over at a friend's house and came back the next morning and there was no, no cars in the driveway, but uh, there was a cop car parked across the street. So I, I walked up to the door and my dad sort of pulled up at the same time and he said that my mom, when he had woke up that morning, was gone. And well, that got the adrenaline rushing a little bit. But right then the, the cop car opened and they told us that they'd found my mom wandering like three neighborhoods over um, just on someone's front lawn. And that was kind of a sign that we needed to get her somewhere that could care for her 24 seven. Um, so that sort of started the process of finding a care home and we found one and it was pretty good. And it was tough because you wanna look after your parents and yeah. it is tough when you become the caregiver for the person who typically is understood to be intended to care for you but simultaneously knowing what the best thing is for a person, even if it's not what you'd ultimately want. And came out of high school. I had a good GPA, played in the Alberta All-Star game for football and was looking to sign with a university um, hadn't gotten much attention because I, I wasn't one of those inborn freaks, 6'6", 300 pounds. Um, and they start scouting at like peewee sometimes. But I got an offer from a junior team in the Okanagan. And so I signed with them, signed with the Okanagan Sun, moved out there with a buddy from high school. And this was right around the time that I had started seriously investigating my faith. Um, I'd realized that it was something that I had inherited, which isn't a bad thing, but I did realize that it wasn't something that I'd seriously considered. And going to camp in the summer of grade nine, shortly before high school, um, I came into community with people who had looked into their faith and were able to 
give me lots of questions as well as lots of answers. And in high school, I fell in love with literature. I started reading a lot of the early church fathers, a lot of philosophy that made me ask a lot of questions. And so when I started taking my faith seriously, uh, moving out to the Okanagan, playing football, that's sort of your life. Um, it's a bit different in Canadian schools, but I think especially with um, junior teams as well as American schools, the expectations that you're an athlete, even if you're a yes, yeah. student athlete, you're an athlete. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the case in the Okanagan as well. Um, it was a good band of brothers, but followed the tropes of most football culture um, or high school culture. And I quickly realized that there really wasn't space in my life uh, for anything but. And I, I love football. It had taught me a lot of important things. It taught me how to work hard that you can achieve things if you actually desire them. Um, like I had said, I, I'd been socially inept. I lacked will. I lacked discipline. I didn't know how to work hard. I had never learned it. And football was definitely a tool that God used to teach me a lot of things that I don't think I would have picked up by myself. But moving out there and realizing... I couldn't join a faith community or didn't have much time for else. Um, I think I could have continued with football. I had gotten a late offer from U of T that I was really looking to take. They have an excellent psychology program, but I took a good week of reflection and lots of prayer. And I realized I wanted to, as we said, we don't know that the time we're allotted And I wanted to spend as much of it taking care of my mom and with my family. So I moved back home, quit the season early, and just started working. Around the same time, I had been engaged in a couple of faith communities in Calgary, but I had been feeling a lot of disenchantment. Um, For context, I I grew up Protestant. I I didn't realize that I was Protestant. I thought I was just Christian. Um, And I'd heard about, oh, you know, these are the different names that people give themselves and it designates maybe some different beliefs, but that's sort of the extent of it. It's just one big Christian family. And when I'd started reading the early church fathers and a lot of philosophy, I, I heard the word Catholic for the first time. And I had always thought it was uh, just a more old fashioned, maybe ritualistic denomination, but I had been reading them and fell in love with this idea of reverence, of holiness, of worship, and this understanding and love for God. And simultaneously, when I looked around me, I became disenchanted with what I saw as a bit of a disconnect Um, between what people professed and what they lived, which is the Christian way, um, knowing we're called to an ideal and attempting to fulfill that, yet ever falling short, still striving to fulfill it the next day. 
but uh, disenchantment continued to grow and I, I didn't know much what to do with it. So I sort of just continued along reading and studying and enrolled in university, MRU, Cougars. Go Cougars. <laughs> Go Cougars. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess with uh, two student athletes here, pretty, pretty <laughs> Cougars fans. <laughs> and uh, well, my first week of university, I thought it was good to get plugged into a faith community. University has plenty of clubs, and it's also not known as being the most welcoming to uh, people of faith. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought it important to find a group of like-minded people and first week walking down main street i saw a banner for catholic christian outreach or cco i was like wow christian and catholic uh just (laughs) what i've been looking for Mm -hmm. so i stopped looked at the banner i'd seen people walking out from the booth and talking to people but nobody approached me yet so i was just looking at the banner for i think maybe like three or four minutes (laughs) um (laughs) trying to figure out what is this group for before uh, one of my now very dear friends, uh, a man named Chris Cocott approached me. He took my name and number. We chatted for a bit and I eventually became a member of CCO and it was and has been and continues to be the highlight of my university career has been this community because when I, when I joined, I saw so much joy on people's faces and, and the kindness and grace that they afforded others, as well as the unflinching commitment to faith that I had been struggling to see around me, um, especially where it was most difficult. Um, I had one of my biggest concerns had been in high school with faith was a lot of difficulty surrounding people's beliefs on things of the time, um, particularly difficult moral issues. And I found a lot of people twisting theology to suit their own decisions and their own comforts and pleasures rather than fixing their actions and behaviors to suit um, what was what they supposedly professed and the defense of it. Well, it's, it's my theology, or if you're looking for an opinion, you can find one backed up by almost anything. Thanks mm-hmm. to the internet. <laughs> um, Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia is a great source. <laughs> and I joined CCO. I still had a, a lot of, I think, <laughs> rebellious spirit in me. And, um, I went around challenging plenty of people on a lot of Catholic ideas and philosophies, but I was enraptured by the community and it was really the, the highlight of my day between classes, especially depending on the class and depending on the professor. Um, <laughs> you hear a, a lot of things said in university and oh, yeah. uh it quickly turned my frown into a, into a cheery smile. And Chris um, knew my difficulties. So he told me to enter into RCIA, which is Roman Catholic initiation for adults. 
And essentially throughout the course of several months, you learn every single thing that is expressed by the church and by Catholics, the reasoning, the philosophy, the scripture behind it. And I figured that'd be a pretty good place to figure out my grievances, um, or at the very least, uh, have a better understanding of theology as a whole. And so I never got my driver's license for quite a while. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I think you probably know Nathan because I, I have no doubt I bummed a ride off. This guy, this guy goes, you want to go to the gym? I go, yeah. Can you pick me up? <laughs> Didn't you ask me to go to the gym? Yeah. Can you pick me up? <laughs> hey. Yes, I can pick you up. Where's your license? Don't have it. <laughs> for years <laughs> i didn't coming back to the hard work and discipline yeah i don't think i had my learner's license until i was 18 19 wow. this guy just <laughs> got around somehow somehow he got places where there's a will there's a way and uh, <laughs> i certainly had the will to not pay for gas <laughs> um and much like i bummed rides off of you nate um I did it with Chris as well. Every single week for, I think it was six months, once a week, he would drive me across the city to these RCIA sessions. Wow. Which is outside and beyond the call of duty for his job is uh, staffed by the club. Um, but he did it. And joyfully, even despite my less than... <laughs> joyful attitude at times um and he didn't always have answers for me but he never hesitated to say that and i didn't realize it then but i was slowly falling in love with the with the reverence and the love that i had experienced in these places when i went to adoration and everyone knelt and the incense was hazing across the room when I went to rise up their annual conference and had the opportunity to go to confession upon a special contingency and out of the three four hundred priests available for confession there was one man I didn't want to see and I was mm -hmm. praying God, please don't let it be him. And I think God has a far greater sense of humor than we give him credit because who would I get but the one man, the one priest I didn't want to confess to. And it was him. And I don't think I've ever cried that hard in my life. Um, <laughs> confessing 20 years is a is a blessed but difficult time and especially to someone that you have the utmost admiration respect for and i think throughout my time with rcia i was slowly realizing but couldn't admit what i had to do and so Normally at the end of RCIA, you become entered into the church at Pentecost, sort of mirroring um, what occurred with the descent of the Holy Spirit. 
um, at Pentecost in the New Testament. And I neglected to, or rather I chose not to, because I felt that I couldn't be sure. I couldn't be 100% sure. I couldn't make up my mind. I still had these seemingly issues uh, in my head with either the ability to accept certain doctrines or if it was the right thing to do. And I took it seriously. So I felt that if I couldn't accept these things or if I couldn't commit myself to see it through, then it would be improper of me to do so. And Chris and the other members of CCO and those around me were ever gracious and supportive of me and many appreciated um, the seriousness that I approached it with. But I continued my reading all the while. And one of my favorites and a man that I owe a great intellectual debt to is G.K. Chesterton. And one day I stumbled across his essay on his own conversion from Anglicanism to Catholicism. And in that essay, he detailed entirely my own experience. Um, <laughs> it was almost, I often call him a prophet in many ways um, because in many ways he is, but uh, in that instance, he could have very well have been a telepath for the way that he outlined everything that I had thought and felt. And he wrote about how truth was like a magnet, that it both repels and attracts, that in beginning to show an interest in the faith or wishing to do right by the church because you see that it suffers injustice, you slowly desire to be converted, to conform yourself to the truth, but that the last step before that is actually you desiring not to be because you've gone too far, you've seen too much and it's too much to admit that. And that described exactly my experience. Um, at the same time, I stumbled across an amazing saint uh, who I'd never heard of before. And at confirmation, you're told that you should choose a choose a, a, a saint to be your confirmation saint, someone who in a way supports and enters you into the church, someone that you can look to as a friend, as an inspiration. And it's encouraged that it's someone that you can relate to in some way. And so very quickly after coming across this essay and being thrown into turmoil by how much it convicted me, I came across the saint, um, Elizabeth Ann Seton, the first born American saint, how she had been a devout Protestant before um, both of her parents died. And then later on, her husband died as well. And because of the death of her mother early on, she grew a strong affection and devotion to the Blessed Mother Mary. And through Mary, she was led to the church. And I realized that you can never be sure 
of much. For rational people, we are exceptionally good at reasoning our way out of just about anything, if it's suitable for us. And you can always doubt, no matter how concrete the facts are, but I had to take a leap of faith, as Kierkegaard puts it. And I trusted and prayed that God would not let me to go somewhere where I was not to be. And so I entered into full communion with the Catholic Church. And I've only, only been shown how correct that decision was since. And Mary, like Elizabeth Ann Seton, and like so many others, was the one who led me by the hand there. And that's sort of where we are today. Um, lots of lots of growth, lots of development, some more painful than others, but very thankful for it all throughout. Wow. Um, yeah, that's a lot. That's a, it's a very full life um, so far. And that it's, it's amazing where you, where you end up um, from where you started um and the things you went through i just um i have a question because i remember we kind of talked about i i remember talking to you after you came back um it was Kelowna, right yep uh you came back from Kelowna, and i was just i said like why why'd you leave right um because you know in my perspective when i'm when i'm fully in you know athlete mode um you know we get a we get a longer break because we don't we don't we don't necessarily live with everybody like we don't live on campus we don't live there so we get we get a break from being an athlete every once in a while um but when i'm in athlete mode that's where i want to be right and I kind of just push those other things aside. Um, so when it, when it comes to those, when it, when it comes to you being in Kelowna, um, you know, what was your mindset when you, when you took, when you accepted that offer, um, you know, was it like, this will get me away from, from where I'm at in life right now, what I'm going through, um, you know what just just kind of walk us through your mindset of of that scenario where you were you accepted the offer then you were there with the boys for a year or so and when you decided to come back yeah um that's actually a really good question and not one that i i think i would have considered um i think first and foremost with looking to get signed um half of it was simply whether i though i didn't recognize it at the time that's what you do um the expectation was and a lot of coaches would say is you know you've got a talent you can take it somewhere and you know when you have a a skill that you're good at and especially one that's like a sport um, that does have certain attractive qualities to people, whether, you know, it's just to get people to take an interest in you or 
say, Hey, like I'm actually good at something. Um, it's different when you get a, an offer and different when you bear uh, an organization on your back. So I think there was a lot of reasons for me choosing to do it. And a, a lot of it was simply because I didn't think about it, that it's, it was what was the natural course for when you were good at a sport and coming out of high school, you go somewhere, you, you play ball, you work, maybe go to school and you do that until you can't or until you get to the next level. Um, I didn't have many aspirations for CFL, NFL. I, I was realistic with myself. Look, I'm, I'm six foot, barely 300 pounds and not muscle. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm decently smart in the game. I've got good technique, but you know, the reality is there's so many people who want it and I'm just not gifted physically <laughs> able to get there. And so I think in signing part of it was, yeah, get out, um, avoid some of the stuff at home as well as it's the college experience. I think that was a lot of my mindset leaving. And when your only time outside of football is to sit in silence and think you can come to a lot of changes in opinions and you when you're in silence, you're forced to contend with yourself, which we don't have much of silence today. And I think that's, that's probably what evoked such a strong turnaround. Interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Actually, a couple of things I want to touch on there. Um, because I, I, that's how I kind of felt when I found myself ending up on a university team. It's like, you don't really think about how you get there. You know, it, it, pieces sort of just fall into place and then um, you're, you're on a team and then, and then you kind of have to settle in. Um, but I've done a lot of sort of reflecting on how I ended up at MRU as, as a student athlete because it all happened very rapidly for me. I wasn't kind of like you. I wasn't heavily recruited. Um, I kind of signed last minute just because of some things that happened in the team and I knew a couple of the coaches, you know, I just kind of found my way in. Um, but looking back, like, I think I was motivated a lot out of fear. I felt, I felt like I was afraid of losing a part of myself if mm -hmm. I didn't um, find a way to keep playing soccer, right? Um, I'm not – is that something that resonates with you, do you think? It's, it's that fear of losing something? Yeah, it's almost FOMO, but it's – if I don't take a hold of this, I'm going to miss out on everything. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think especially as high school students, you, you have such a small concept of the world and of life. And it's, this is everything I have. And if I don't go with it, what am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can definitely see some of that. And especially, you know, when you are on a team, everybody's talking in their senior year about, oh, where are you going? Where are you signing? Are you planning to play next level? And, you know, there is a bit of looking down on people who aren't planning to or don't get that opportunity. There was a lot of elitism on uh, my team, at least with the guys who'd been getting scouted since they were 13. 
um, getting flown out to Guelph for different places by the teams. It's uh, there's a bit of, you know, I have to stack up and how do you do that? But by getting noticed by others. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's the thing that really, um, that really gets to me in your story is that when, when you are in that scenario, like when, when you're in that competitive environment with guys who, like you said, have been, you know, competing and who've been scouted since they were 13 and who were trying to get to the top, very similar to, you know, any, any varsity team in Canada. Um, It's so, so, so easy to, to, for your mindset to switch. Like it was, it's like almost like a light, right? Because it's the same for me. Like I, I took a, a year off of high school and I worked, right? And the reason I chose to go back to university was to be like, I don't want to work like this for the rest of my life. Like it's, it's tough. Right. Um, so I wanted to get an education um, in order to get, you know, a job where it wasn't so um, heavily demanding physically. And, but as soon as I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm here. I might as well try out for the soccer team because it's a sport I've been playing for my whole life. Um, I, I got in somehow, you know, I was, I'm sure still remember. I, I looked like a meatball. Um, I was not in good shape, right? And I'm just. Surprised. I looked like a twig, man. It wasn't just you. Yeah, but here we are, right? Um, but all of a sudden, in my first year, it went from me getting my education to me being so focused on being an athlete, right? And that's just because you immerse yourself in that environment, in that you know culture. And then you become that. And it's very easily, it very, it very easily happens because, you know, you're coming out of high school. And like you said, we know very little about the world. Um, but the thing that really gets to me in your story is that instead of you immersing, like just becoming fully immersed in that culture, you know, it was almost like being there and playing football reminded you of what you wanted in a way, Mm. right? Because you said you were there and you realized that you wanted to be home to take care of your mom, to spend time with your family, um, right? And that's just, I don't know if you have anything to add on that, but that to me is just, it's, it's something that's not common. I don't feel like that would happen to a lot of people, you know? Mm. Well, I think you have a really good point there on first how how easily the student athlete or it can be really any aspect of our life can quickly become almost all of it, especially if we're successful at it, that, you know, we find something we have an affinity for and you start pouring more and more into it and that then becomes your value for who you are but also your understanding of who you are. And when talking about that, especially in high school and then Kelowna, the only thing I can really say, it's certainly by no virtue of my own, but 
actually God's grace working through uh, <laughs> deprived qualities of me that I simply wasn't bold enough or um, rash enough to engage to that extent. Um, even when I was a starter in high school and, and then when I was, uh, I had actually just gotten the starting lineup position when I left, left Kelowna. So <laughs> um, you know, I was never one of the football guys. I played football and I was in these different circles, but I was never, I was never really invited to team functions that much. I was never super in with a lot of these guys and and that's fine you know you can work on a team it's it's like when you go to work and it's you might not like the people you work with but you have a job to do you're going to get it done probably not going to be friends off the field and you go to you go to parties you engage in the typical high school experience and I can really only say that it's because I didn't have this boldness, this uh, rashness in an improper sense um, that I didn't pour myself more into that identity. And that's really a saving grace. And then when it did come time for me to sit and think when I was in Kelowna, it's because in that silence, I'd been forced to contend with a lot of those realities. And I had been able to reflect on my own weaknesses and hope to better avoid those circumstances in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Sterling. I'll I'll tell my point after. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, it's crazy how much, like I see the parallels in that in terms of my experience as well. Like I know Nathan can attest to this, but especially in my first year, I I definitely wasn't like one of the guys, right? Like I I was, I was a little bit of an outcast. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't at all the team events. I went to like one party a year with the guys and like this guy, this guy just didn't come to rookie night. He was a rookie (laughs) and he just didn't come. I went, but I sat in the corner the whole time. I was that that weird guy. In my experience um, with rookie night, I wish I had made that decision. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Tough tough night, man. Me too. Um, Yeah, but I just kind of wanted to touch on something briefly because. Like I've, I kind of found it the same way where it, it felt like there was a little nudge, like something's not quite right here. Like there's something a little off. Um, I'm not getting as much out of the experience as I could be, or something's missing here, you know? And, and for me, it was that faith aspect too. It came later for me. It, it, it took until this past year for me to find CCO and to sort of um, dig into my faith a little bit deeper. Um, but I, I find it really cool how effectively you've taken God's cues in your life and use them as opportunities to sort of take it on an individual level and wrestle with things that you need to wrestle with. Right. If that makes sense. Um, so I, I guess my question for you is when people feel like something's not quite right and it could be, it could be faith that that's, that piece is missing or something or something else who knows um, what, like, what is that feeling? What is that feeling like to you? When you, when you feel like something's off and you feel like you have to change something? That's a, an important question. It's when you know you're at odds with yourself. You are not who you should be. And it's almost this, this disconnect 
uh, disembodiment from, you know, when we do certain things, when we say harsh words or even, even worse things, um, we act out of anger or even just um, do something that we know wasn't right. We, we even say things like, I'm not myself today, or I don't know where that came from. This isn't me. And it's because we, we know in our very core that what we're doing isn't what we're supposed to be. We're not who we are. And whether that's from a religious perspective or a secular sin um, means missing the mark because there is a mark. There's the right ordered way to be. And I mean that in the, in the philosophical sense, our being. And when we miss that mark, when we act willingly and grievously out of accordance of who we are, that causes us real harm. And we feel that the greatest one we injure when we do wrong is ourselves. And I think one of us sort of extrapolation of that is that a vision of hell is when you die and see the person you could have and should have been. Mm -hmm. And I think we get a little taste of that that in the moment. Holy smokes. I've never even thought about that before. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I like that. That's good. Holy moly. That made me, uh, that made me lose my train of thought completely because uh, that's 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 intense um but <laughs> the point I, what you guys said just led up to my point even better um i'm gonna i'm gonna name this this episode uh who are you question mark um and that that's something that a theme that has been popping up over and over in my friends in people that i know people that i love it's been popping up so often where it's there's a struggle with identity there's a struggle with who they are as a person um, what they should be doing and what they should not be doing right and that is i I, that i feel like is a very common struggle and people and if i was to sit here and say I feel like I don't know who I am. I feel like a lot of people listening, a lot of people not listening can relate to that, right? That's a very relatable um, issue. But in my opinion, right? Like at the end of the day, we have control. We have, con- we, we can tell when something is off, right? Like you said, there's a, dis- a disembodiment of of your your feelings basically right like you like there's almost times where you know you go into autopilot um and your brain's like stop or do this differently and you just keep going and so you feel like your your actions and your what you're saying and what you're doing is separate from the the way you're actually feeling right Um, And people and people will make excuses will say, you know, I'm just not, you know, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. But when it comes to the root of the issue, 
we have complete control of of how we respond in those situations right and so when when me when i talk about being getting totally immersed in like that student athlete culture right i did feel a disembodiment because you know i wasn't playing i wasn't i wasn't started i was having trouble training um and i was lashing out i was mad all the time i was not enjoying my first my first second year of university even right and but in my in my head i'm like you know why am i not happy right now so i i noticed that right and that's with any other any other issues um in my life but i noticed there was something off but we don't we don't actually get to a point where we can where we can notice or where we realize how to change things until we live through them and i think that's why it was so important for you to go to Kelowna, right? It's so important for you to experience what you did as a kid, where it was like, you know, I'm really annoying these people, not intentionally, but, you know, maybe it's time to fix things. But if you didn't go through those things, if you didn't experience those experiences, um, you wouldn't know, right? If you never went to Kelowna, you, you, you would never find out that you want to be here. Right. And there could have been a very big opportunity for you to go on further with football. But then you realize, actually, I have obviously there's different plans for my life because I'm I feel separated right now. So my my main point is, is that we have control over who we are. And when we say no to things and we limit our experiences, we are allowing ourselves to be limited. We are, we're limiting who we are as an individual because, um, you know, just talking about Catholicism and Christianity, um, if, if, you know, if you believe in, the, in that kind of thing and you believe that God actually has the ability to live through you and within you, you are so much bigger than what you limit yourself to. Right. And, and that comes, that even comes with when people, um, you know, say things about you, but people call you names when, you know, this or that, when you hear rumors and then you start putting your value in, in, into those things, you know, that's limiting yourself. Right. So I just think, <clears throat> I think the a big thing, a big takeaway that I want the listeners to really get from this. And what I get from this is that, you know, like, like Dawson, the way you lived your life, the way you experienced first is something that's is, is missing nowadays, right? People feel like there, there needs to be a plan. There needs to be, you, you need to, you know, write out a script before you go and meet people or whatever, right? People feel like there needs to be like a schedule or like a strict schedule from the day, from the time they wake up to the time they go to sleep. Right. But the way you just lived and kind of responded after your experiences just shows that 
you know, it just shows the way you are today, you know, just how, how you are as an individual, even, even the experience with your mom, like I could never, I could never experience that. It makes me emotional thinking about, you know, my mom going through those things. Right. And I could, I could never, I, I could never imagine the strength it takes to be the person you are today without blaming without you know any negative connotations to the situation you know you're just kind of like it is what it is so yeah i just i just kind of went on a whole rant but um yeah wow you're just your story is so impactful that's all yeah big time um i got one more topic i want to touch on with you dawson um so you, you kind of commented on the nature of like how the church is now and more specifically how people in the church are now. Um, and kind of talked about how there's, there's sort of a lack of integrity and it's sort of that disembodiment that we were talking about, right? Where people are living out um, different things than they're, than they're worshiping or different things that they're talking about on Sundays, um, which I completely agree with for the record. Um yeah big struggle and something we've we've talked about with with past guests as well um but i also want to talk about how like there's the the nature of the world right now is that people would rather do things at 50 percent than take a leap of faith and let something control their life that makes sense right like for me, the the disconnect with my faith happened um, gradually because, like you, I I was sort of inherited into faith as a Protestant, um, and it just sort of faded and faded and faded and faded and faded and decrescendo until one day I realized like it's it's not even really part of my life anymore. Mm. Um, so I think a big theme for you was being able to wrestle with your faith effectively and being able to question and dive into topics of faith effectively instead of just allowing it to fade and become less and less and less a part of who you are. Um, I think that's something that the church is really lacking now. Like you also talked about how people are making scripture sort of plastic and making theology sort of plastic to fit what they want it to be when that's not the nature of how it is. Um, So I guess the question for, for you is um how do you recommend people go about wrestling with their faith i know we, we've talked about this especially with one past guest who you're familiar with um, but i want to hear your opinion on how you can effectively question your faith and effectively uh, dive into topics that are points of contention inside of you yeah i think it's probably more than any other era um a relevant question I recently watched an excellent interview of Bishop Barron um, and Jordan Peterson having a discussion together. And Jordan Peterson, I mean, he's known for talking on spirituality, on Christianity, and talks about the value of the stories. But that's sort of been as far as he goes. Although he recently has talked about how he's wavering between um, Catholicism or orthodoxy. And so he was talking to Bishop Barron and they were discussing why are, why are young people leaving the church? And 
it was actually Peterson who diagnosed that it's because you don't ask enough of them. And I think that is a large part of it and not because not to the fault of many, but because we simply haven't realized the need for it. And I think Pope Benedict the 16th said it when he said, you were not made for comfort. The world offers you comfort. You were made for greatness. We have an understanding that we aren't yet who we should be, but everything around us, and I, I mean everything in the modern age is built to keep you sedated, distracted and docile. Our phones are basically dopamine drips. Um, and with the things that are legal to view on the internet, in Rome, when the people were starving, they gave them the circus. They gave them the, the gladiator arena. They gave them the Colosseum. In 2020, in 2021, they give the people pornography they give them everybody who will agree with you online. These are things that are not good for us and we can recognize it, but it doesn't help that they're addictions nonetheless. And when no one tells you that there's a, a third option, how can they know? And so I think the first thing to do is we have to actually think. Um, when our phone is going off every couple seconds and it's so easy to scroll endlessly, uh, we get back from work, we get back from school and we want to relax, we want peace because we have been working. It's so easy to not think, to be numb in the modern age. So I encourage people to sit in silence. Think about these things, ask yourself questions, reflect on your day. Where did I go wrong? Where did I err? How could I have loved the people around me better? You know, I've been thinking about this and think about things critically. There are so many positions that are in vogue and are much like you and I discussed, inherited. But we don't quite see these positions as inherited in the same way. Um, you know, some people are born into, into faith and it's one of the criticized remarks is, oh, well, you just believe that because you, you grew up in the West, you, you grew up with it. Um, but how much of political ideology is that? And I think that's one of the most important things. Um, one line that punished me for quite a while, um, again, by the oft quotable Chesterton, is that I don't need a church to tell me where I'm right. I need a church to tell me where I'm wrong. If we're looking for someone to tell us that we're right, then we're not, we've got plenty of places to find that. And the internet only makes it worse. But find people who disagree with you. Find out why. Don't just have a knee-jerk reaction. And 
investigate. And most of all, I think sit in silence. Yeah. Um, and God is, is, does not come often in a booming thunder, but with a silent whisper or sway of the breeze, at least been true in my experience. Yeah. Find comfort in being convicted. I like that. Um, yeah, I, I, that's a, that's a good point. I appreciate, uh, your thoughts. Um, I just, I, I, I don't want to say that I have a difference in opinion because I, I, I do agree that silence is very important. Um, I think for me, when it comes to when it comes to being convicted um, consistently um, in a way where, you know, it's supposed to be healthy, right? People of our mindset and, and people where we're, we, we're at a point where we can handle that conflict. We can handle that conviction because we know that after we deal with that and after we see it, we can deal with it, right? We can, we can fix it um, because we know it's coming from a good place. Right. Um, but right. Like in, in this scenario, you know, we're not, we're, we're speaking to uh, a, a lot of people. Right. And, and some of which who probably wouldn't feel as comfortable, you know, feeling that convinc- conviction from the church. Right. And honestly, that and I, correct me if I'm wrong, that is a huge reason reason why, you know, people our age or younger turn actually turn away from the church because they feel like they that the church doesn't see them doing anything right. And so they end up going to their phones and to their social media to try and find that, but they don't. Right. Because um, as much as social media is deemed to be you know, like it, people look for their identity in social media, they never find it. Nobody will ever find their identity through social media or through their phones or through anything like that, right? So in my opinion, what people our age or younger growing up in this, in, in this kind of society that it is nowadays, right, where it's so digital and, and fast moving and, you know, it's um, the thing is that time, time changes, Right. And we need to be we need to be willing to adapt to change. And in this scenario, what I believe is that, you know. When we have our faith. The most the most important thing to do is is to love the people around us. Right. Um, And I know, Sterling, your question was, how how do you keep your faith or how do you like how do you strengthen your faith when you're struggling? Right. Um, I think the biggest thing right now is trying and keep up with the pace that life is moving. Right. And it is very important to take those time for yourself to, you know, slow down and be in silence. I completely agree with that. Um, but for me, you know, I feel like there, and especially in the past couple of years, conviction has become the theme of church has become the theme of, you know, 
these young adults are coming out of high school. Look at what they're doing. They're doing everything wrong kind of thing. You know, here's what you should do right. And I'm not saying that's not exactly true, but at the same time, you know, people are different and we are called to love people. And we need to be, we need to learn how to love those people the way they are in order to be inviting, you know, and, and this is me speaking from a Christian standpoint, right? Cause if I, let's say, let's, let's talk about like youth leading for a second. As a youth leader, if I was to, if, if a kid who wasn't Christian were to come to my group and I was to be like, listen, man, like, let's talk about your sin. Let's talk about, you know, what you're doing wrong, those kind of things, you know, let's, let's get those on the table and let's fix those. He'll be like, get the hell away from me. I'm not coming back, you know, because that's, that's how people are these days. They're very uh, closed in there's walls, you know, like you have to focus on the relationship first. So I like, I'm not trying to play devil's advocate or anything in this scenario because I, I do agree with you, but to a certain extent, because I feel like conviction and um, focusing on the, the wrongdoing um, of, of a person's life sometimes can be more damaging than good. You know what I mean? Um, because we're always going to mess up. It doesn't make it okay, but we're always going to mess up. And that's going to be how we live our life. But it's how we learn to um, get to a point where we, we can recognize it before it happens. Or we can help other people with it. Or we can, you know, it's just finding the positives out of out of life. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. And I would say that there might have been a bit of mis miscommunication on my part then. Um, because I would say that people, people do not experience healing or change before they encounter love. I 100% agree with that. And I, I also want to make clear just the distinction between um, someone being feeling convicted versus condemned because conviction is an internal thing. Um, I, I sort of think about when I, you meet a truly great man and because of the brightness of this person, you can recognize the spots on yourself, sort of putting up a, a dirty window to a very bright light. That's convicting to yourself. And there's different ways to respond to that. Yeah. Um, but first and foremost, we are made by love for love. But we also have to understand properly what love is. And it is genuine love um i think that sometimes we can and this isn't to say you uh but we can understand love is a, a vague sort of being nice when love is truly an entire gift of self 
It is doing, it is giving service to others. It is loving them as you have been loved, but also understanding that the most loving thing for someone is to help them when they're hurting themselves or others. And, and again, that's not a, oh, you're doing bad. Um, you should stop that. But if you see your brother, um, if you see your dear friend engaging in behavior that you know, that they know is wrong and that is clearly detrimental to themselves or others, you pull them aside and you say, hey, what's going on? You know, you know better than this. Uh, and also, how can I help? Um, and sometimes love recognizes that people already know that and it's, it's quiet and it convicts in its quietness. Um, so I do wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah. I, I would like to add on that too, because the most overwhelming doctrine surrounding sin in theology is forgiveness, right? Um, so that, that comes before any sort of conviction or anything like that, because through that unconditional love, we are, we are forgiven of our sins. Now, that, that, does that mean that our sin is devalued to the point where we don't feel convicted or, or we don't, we're not condemned at all? just because we're forgiven by of our sins no that's not how it works right in order for us to have an enriched faith to have a close relationship with christ there has to be some sort of challenge right we can't just sit in our comfort zones um because then we'll, we'll get that talking about before right because when we're not challenged it's not going to grow um so i think that process of conviction it comes when we realize that although forgiveness is constant and although the forgiveness is always there out of love um, we're called to more, we're, we're, we're called to despise sin and to see it in ourselves and, uh, find a way to work through it. Right. So over the overwhelming doctrine is forgiveness, but I think that's sometimes lost in people's perception of the church for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that love sort of gets lost because the discomfort part of sin is the conviction or the, or the condemning of sin. Right. So it's easy to, it's easy to see that because it's the part that where we find resistance, but, forgiveness is always there right yeah it's uh the second tattoo i ever got is a close-up of michelangelo's the creation of adam of the hands (laughs) of adam uh and god's hands reaching towards each other um but the way that the painting was designed is that God's arm is firmly outstretched mm-hmm. as though it's been hanging there in eternity. And Adam rising up out of the earth is starting to creep his finger towards his. And I got that tattoo uh, because I'm, I think that poor at remembering sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, permanent devotions or reminders, at least for me, are helpful and God's love and his arms are always outstretched, but it's hard for us to accept it if we don't know. And, and it can be hard to recognize love when we don't know it's there. And so we do have to make it known. We do have to first and foremost 
uh, fulfill our the first commandment and the greatest one. Love thy neighbor. Yeah, I think um, just like building on what you guys are saying and what Sterling was saying, um, I think it's easy for us to understand these things, right? Um, but I, th- I think that the thing that I think about the most is what, what exactly should our role be in another person's life, right? And Dawson, you were saying like, um, you know, you see somebody, you know, one of your friends doing something um, and you're like, you, you know, they know that it's wrong. Right. Uh, but one thing I've been thinking about is like, what, what is our role in that scenario? Um, and I'm, I'm speaking from a Christian standpoint because I'm a Christian and I always speak from a Christian standpoint. Um, but I, I would just, I, I just want to, I, I want to challenge that a little bit because um, like, how can we say that it is our role to really be that or be, be the someone that um, makes that person realize what they need. Right. Um, And this comfort zone uh, conversation is, is very important too, because um, being, being in your comfort zone means that you're stagnant. It means that you're not moving. Right. And uh, like, I wholeheartedly agree that, humans are meant to not be in their comfort zone right and that's how that's how civilization that that's why civilization is where it's at today that's why we have skyscrapers because we humans are not meant to stay in their comfort zone right there's they're meant to step out of that and grow and evolve and and invent things and you know come together and create um but what what is our what are we meant to create through those relationships that we have you know, are we, are we meant to push people to a point where it's like they realize where they should be or what they need to be? Because if you think about it, in your life, your biggest revelations didn't come from you seeing, from you hearing it from somebody else. You know, it came from you. Right. It came, like I said before, it came from your experience. It came from um, within. Right. And obviously other people have influence. Right. But um, to be a loving human and to be a friend to others, um, where, what, what should our role be? Right. Um, and I, I just kind of want to challenge that idea of us being always being that person to, to, to say you know are you like you you're going to a lot of parties are you okay you know what i mean because it's just that's just like a challenging thought like should we should we be allowing that person to realize those things on their own you know or or should we just be just like loving them consistently consistently without um, without challenging them 
And I, until you get to a point where they're like allowing those challenges to happen, you know, but I, I just feel like we should be living in relationship with other, with other people without the expectation that we're going to start challenging them, you know, and just allow those to come naturally kind of thing. I, I would agree. Um, as in so many cases, I don't think it's a, an either or, but a both and. Um, if, if I go up to, first of all, um, if we're talking about people who need a talking to or an encouragement of, Hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. I need it as much as anyone else. Um, it's not, a, it's not a point of, um, condescending or, um, in any sense of, as though I'm not in the same place, but it is understanding what love is. And, you know, if I, I, I'm not going to go up to someone in the middle of the street and make assumptions or be like, uh, you, you should do this differently about your life. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. No, no, no. Just trust me. <laughs> um, and I think that, with the appropriate levels of relationship. It's not what you're looking to do, but love compels it. Mm. When you, you know, when you're with your family, your family knows when something's up. Mm -hmm. They ask out of concern because they love you. They want to know what's going on in your life and they can tell, they can tell when something's off. And if you tell them, you explain what's going on, they respond with love, but they're also trying to help you through it. And sometimes that is letting you experience it on your own because you do know. Sometimes it's a more clear statement, but in all things, it's the same love. And it's not a immediate answer, but it is love nonetheless at every stage of the relationship, whether you're just starting to know someone, whether you've known them for years. Yeah. Great explanation. Wow. Yeah. And uh, don't, don't take this as I'm like disagreeing with you or like I am arguing with you in any way. I just, um, it's an interesting conversation. There's lots of perspectives to it. Um, so I'm just trying to, you know, broaden the conversation in a way. feel incredibly attacked nathan yeah good you should <laughs> you should um well that was a full episode we're almost at uh we're gonna hit two hours here pretty soon no Ooh, uh, lots lots of um topics but i i'm glad we got through it it was very interesting uh thank you dawson for doing this um thank you for sharing uh your story in full transparency um means it means a lot it means the world to me that um you know you're willing to come do that on this show because you know i just love it so i i appreciate you uh taking your time to do this man and it was a blast well uh thank you for listening to me ramble for about two hours (laughs) you know normally you have to pay people for (laughs) (laughs) it was not it was not hard to listen to you at all so thank you kindly sir 
that is all for this week guys um who knows we'll see you in a week we'll see you in two weeks we'll see you in a month um probably see you on youtube soon uh maybe maybe not i'm just doing my thing but (laughs) me and sterling are just doing our thing um so yeah but thank you guys for listening um we hope you enjoy the rest of your sunday and your week and we'll see you soon that's what this has been the rising rain podcast oh wow (laughs) an outro all right see you guys